We'd talk about Jesus. We would share Jesus' love with others. And in so doing, Lord, many may come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Bless our time, I pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. The introduction on page 38 is uh, pretty good. If you did not read that, uh, it was speaking uh, to the fact there that uh, we sometimes think that we are the fix-it guys or we, we can uh, always uh, get something going again. And even as I was back this morning and had studied the lesson during the week, I was glancing back at my notes and wanted to have a recall concerning that. Uh, talked about the way we become fixers in our day is just Google it in. You know, if you've got a dripping faucet or uh, something going on with your car or maybe something going on uh, in your house that you can sort of figure it all out. He says it feels good when you can step back uh, and see that you fixed something on your own. Even if it took you much longer than the professionals, you can say, I did it, but he said all of that to say this, there are just some things that we cannot fix. And we could say amen to that, couldn't we? There are things going on or have went on in our lives. Uh, it will continue to go on as long as we live. There are things that only God can bring, uh, can bring back to its wholeness. He said a broken relationship with God is something else you can't fix on your own. Plenty of religions and philosophies suggest you can, but their methods are ineffective. Only one person can fix the sin problem. Now, I know of a lot of us at our time, or in our time probably, we've tried to fix somebody's sin problem. If no other way other than tell them what we think they ought to do, or tell them how we think they ought to do it. But in reality... We are who we are because of the love of Jesus, and likewise, we need to be telling others that He alone has the answer. I was humming an old uh, song this morning when I had refocused uh, on that, uh, and the old uh, songwriter said, Have you failed in life's battle to accomplish your plan? Is your heart heavy laden? Do you fear the Lord's command? He said, Pick up the broken pieces. Bring them to the Lord. Pick up the broken pieces and bring them to the Lord. All of our lives at some point has had some broken pieces because that simply means that we were born with a sin nature and we probably never robbed banks or stole hubcaps, but we were sinners in need of a Savior and only Jesus could do it. Now we're going to go into John chapter 19 verses 8 through 11. And these are going to be very familiar uh, scriptures to you because uh, it's something we read every uh, year when it comes Easter. Most likely we read it far more often than that. But uh, it is the message of Jesus. It says, When Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid than ever. He went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus did not give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, you ref Or do you refuse to speak to me? Do you, know what do you know that I have authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? You would have no authority over me at, at all, Jesus answered him, if it had not been given you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you 
has the greater sin. Now, if you want to go back and get the uh, beginning of the chapter, and I meant to print it off, but that would be in uh, John 19, 1-7. But part of that uh, is summed up when it says, We have a law. By our law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. That was summed up in verses 1 to 7. And as uh, it was summed up there, then he's brought to Pilate. And Pilate, uh, is as we look at this, we'll understand that even a lot greater. Now, I'm not a television mechanic, and I don't know anything about uh, how they work other than to cut it on. But the first column here on page 39 says as... You look at a screen. Well, we got TV screens around us, but uh, it says when you see a, a television screen as in a close-up view, you see nothing but a series of red, green, and blue dots. And those dots fill your vision, none of it making much sense until you step back a bit further. And then them little pockets of color would start uh, peppering in, and before you know it, you've got images And now we all like the finished product, usually, of what we see once we focus on that. Well, he says that Jesus' life is very similar. Uh, When we pick up here and we see Pilate, he says this is about halfway through uh, the account of Passion Week, Jesus' death. This This is on his last evening, so to speak. So one of the disciples had already betrayed him. We understand that, do we? Who was he? All of us know Judas did. Uh, 30 pieces of silver. Judas, Judas uh, repented of what he had done, but he only repented to himself. Why? Because the Scripture says that he would even come back and try to give the money back. But Judas had, had already uh, given Jesus over be, cause of that uh, exchange of, uh, of, of mon- money there, okay? As the disciple had uh, betrayed him, uh, they dragged Jesus out, and we could not go through all of the process, but talking about him being flogged. The Jews were calling for Jesus to be crucified. And again, we don't totally uh, understand their... Uh, their concept, but what they'd done is they'd taken a few statements that he would make. They would go into a few sentences that he had quoted, and as a result of that, what we find from that is that they would put together an indictment that later would get him crucified. You know, sometimes people still do that. They try to act without all the information, and that's what the Jews were doing. So as we look at this passage here, uh, Pilate is now very convinced that he had no reason to be crucified, but now Pilate's getting a little perturbed with him because he won't give him the answers when he asks the questions. And you see that if you read all that passage over again. Where are you from? Uh, So now he said, do you refuse to speak to me? Now you've got to remember he's not interviewing his child, okay? You know, he could, he could beat him if he wouldn't answer it or whip him if it were a child. But now it's Jesus, the Son of God. And Pilate uh, says, do you know I have authority that I could kill you uh, or have you killed? And then Jesus makes some great statements here. You don't have no authority over me. You're not in control today. Now, 
that irritates most people when they learn they're not in control, doesn't it? And especially a politician. You say, well, Pilate wasn't a politician in his own way was. And he's trying to appease the crowd. And now he's trying to appease the Jewish uh, leaders. And as he is, uh, he's getting angrier by the moment. And uh, the, the notes on the, the top of page 40, uh, notice this, the, the writer says here, there's one little sentence, and I sort of laughed at it when I read it the first time, and I do when I do it again, and it says, Pilate was in a bit of a pickle. As far as he could tell, the tension between Jesus and the Jewish leaders was just that tension. And prior to having Jesus flogged, Pilate told the Jewish leaders, I find no fault in him. I don't find reason to uh, answer your charges there. And that's how, that's how Pilate saw Jesus. But what does Pilate do? He seeks to appease the people. Anybody ever known of people in authority being people pleasers? Vote getters, I call it. They'll promise you everything. Well, now we find that Pilate uh, is, in that, is in that place. The mob, oh, mob mentality. We don't, you know, you don't even have to look to the history book anymore to see a mob mentality, do we? Just look to evening news or look to maybe a newspaper. But Pilate now didn't give them what they wanted and he ran the risk of seeing his district descended into a riot. So Pilate, with all the authority to release Jesus or to crucify him, in fact, he was the only one who could give this, uh, and he rubs that in a little bit when he said, you don't know that I have authority over your life. And Jesus understood things, and as he does, he said, you don't have any authority. Friend, aren't you glad today that God had a plan from the beginning? I said earlier this morning already in the first service that uh, this, this is not an afterthought. Uh, Jesus' crucifixion was not something that the Romans and the Jewish people just came up with. Because if you read Psalm 22 and you read other passages, you know that uh, that, that was uh, God's plan from the beginning. And as we look at it here according, according to John's Gospel, uh, there's two characters in essence right now, and that's Pilate and Jesus. Well, the other, the other parts of that body there are the Jewish people, but uh, right now it's in Pilate's hands. The second uh, section of Scripture, for those of you who are watching by internet today, uh, is John chapter 19, verse 16, the latter part of that verse. And it says, Then they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went up to what is called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side with Jesus in the middle. Now, the writer gives a lot of notes here. I, underline, I go through it and I underline what I want to share with you or highlight it. And before I know it, I've almost highlighted the whole section. Why? Because uh, there are some things that whether we uh, just don't ask them or whether we ask someone else, it's things that we'd like to know answers to. But let's be honest, there are some that nobody has the answers to it. A couple of things uh, struck out here about John's writing, uh, and it talks there about 
the, the cross itself, carrying the cross by himself. Now, most of you remember in one of the other Gospels, it talks about uh, there was someone who was compelled to carry that cross uh, part of the way for him. I don't think that's uh, necessarily a contradiction here. John is uh, just uh, not entertaining all the details that some of the other authors would or or disciples, apostles would. So I'm not going to get hung up on that. Some of you probably picked up there as well, though that uh, that was a point of emphasis. But taking Jesus away, going to the place of the skull, Sometimes if, if you don't mind working with your computer and you, you would like to visualize things, uh, you know, you can, you, can, you can type in these places, uh, like place of the skull uh, in Jerusalem or something. And, I mean, you get some of the best photos you could possibly get, better than if you went over and took your own pictures. And that's a good way. I mean, I'm not trying to sell you an Internet program or nothing, but that's just free Google stuff. And you can highlight this, and there's something about visualizing something to me that makes me understand it a little bit better. But now if you go to Jerusalem in our day, what you're going to find is not just a single place that they say he could have been crucified, but they're going to have Gordon's Calvary over here. They're going to have Golgotha over here. So when you go, they'd like to carry you to both places. But uh, the more popular place seems to be here where the writer is talking about the place of the skull, and even in our day, there's some limestone on the side of the hillside uh, that that literally does look like a skull. And I, I'm trying to get you to Google it in and look at it if you don't know what I'm doing with that. At Jesus, as Jesus' trials concluded, he was led away uh, for execution, but he wasn't alone. There was the criminals. Uh, I don't know what particular sin those criminals had uh, committed, but it says they were there. Uh, We don't read anything about their trial. They're they're not who we're studying today. However, when Jesus does get nailed to his cross and, and put there, then we find the interaction between the criminals and Jesus himself. Now, who did Jesus die for? Everybody. Matter of fact, you can see it that he even died for the criminals beside him. One of them was a little more hard-headed than the other. They both intended uh, there to, in their inquisitiveness, uh, they even begin to belittle Jesus for a moment. But then before the end, one of them says, he's done nothing amiss. We're getting our due reward for what we've done. And then that's when that one criminal would say, Lord, remember me when thou enterest thy kingdom and he said today you'll be with me in paradise a beautiful picture of salvation uh, there at this time the writer takes some time now on page 41 and he deals with some of this terminology uh, the place of the skull in the first paragraph there on page 41 the place received its name probably because of the shape of the place resembled a skull which is Golgotha and Aramaic, uh, so uh, we see that. So when you try to think of the various names of the place, Calvary, he uh, highlights that again. Uh, you know, maybe the word cross is even more significant to us when I survey the wondrous cross. So whatever, whatever, just try to harmonize the Gospels a little bit 
if you will. The incredible event that took place on the or took place on the skull was captured in three words. They crucified him. Now in this or in the context of all of this, it reminds us that they did not always nail uh, the criminals did not always nail those being crucified to a cross. Sometimes they literally tied them. If you read it all, and I think it's in here and not a commentary, it talked about some people could hang on a cross for a week or even two weeks or longer in that excruciating pain. It's hard to believe that that could, could happen, but they say uh, that it could uh, crosses and hanging on cross, it was not, uh, well, let me just say this, it was a common method of execution. You know, if you don't look back and study history a little bit, we might think, oh, Jesus' cross was the first one. No, they've been doing that for years. But this one is more sensitive because of the man who is on the cross, okay? Jesus had no reason no human earthly reason for being crucified. Y'all know that. But he had all heavenly reason to. And that was he came to die. And as he did, uh, that paid death penalty for every person who would respond to him by faith. It says, as Jesus carried the cross by himself up to Golgotha, he was walking a path reserved for us. He brings that down to a personal level there. Uh, who wrote the song? I'm, I know I always relate back to songs, but who wrote the song, I Should Have Been Crucified? You know, that song written on the, uh, written there for the understanding that He took our place. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. There's a question here on the bottom of page 41. What emotions do you experience when you think about Jesus' crucifixion? What emotions do you experience when you think about His cruci crucifixion? Anybody want to speak to that one? Yes, absolutely. Gratitude. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You know, whatever you want to say, boy, He deserves it. All the praise. Anyone else? I think about what, some of what we see in the book of Isaiah when it tells us that, you know, about the death that he would face there. Speaking to it about 800 years before the event would actually happen, Isaiah talked about he was wounded for our transgressions. By his stripes we're healed. And... Uh, yeah, that can speak to spiritual healing. That can speak to physical healing. Uh, we know this. Not all people are healed physically in life. Uh, and those, you, you can believe it. Uh, but everybody, even that Jesus delivered uh, from physical disease or, or things, even those who had been resurrected prior to Him, they, they all died afterwards. So Jesus, uh, His cross was one that uh, was paid for all and carried for all. Any thought there? John 19 and 28. Now he's jumping quite a few scriptures here. Uh, 
so, so it's looking at that, we hopping, hopping around in John chapter 19. It said forgiveness is possible because Jesus died for our sins. So we read in 28 after this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Then, bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. The King James, I think, would say he gave up the ghost. When God made Adam and Eve, they lived in a perfect community with him, but it didn't take long for them to break that community by placing their desires above God's command. Last week, I think, and I know another week previous, we had looked at sin, and you remember me talking about it can be called sin, which is a missing of the mark. It can be called uh, transgression, which some say is just a high-handed revolt against holy God. Uh, sin, transgression, or iniquity. Uh, all we, we relate all of it in the word of sin, and which I think we're fine with that. But now Jesus, as we saw in the Old Testament, God the Father uh, restored Adam and Eve now Jesus does that with us for our sin. The sayings of Jesus on the cross, uh, I think there's seven of them that we really count. Uh, he might have said others, but uh, namely uh, there's seven. A couple of those are right here in this passage, if you, re if you remember, when he said, I'm thirsty, and then last he said, it is finished. He, he um, basically by saying that, he was speaking to his father. Remember, even in the beginning, though, he said to the father, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because in his, uh, he, he took on himself sin, my sin, your sin. And by doing that, he became, I reckon we could say he became a sinner for that instant. And the reason he qualified to be the Savior is because in his life, he knew no sin. He was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. And therefore, it's going to take a perfect, spotless, sinless sacrifice. And that's why nobody before or after could have qualified to be the Savior. Uh, do you remember, and I know that was for more reasons than just this, uh, we studied the Old Testament, and when you see those barren women uh, in Scripture, what do they usually want? They want what kind of child? A man child. Is that what you said? I thought it was. Yes, they all wanted a man child. It wasn't that they didn't like little girls. Some of them wanted a man child because they thought it might be the fulfillment of what he said in Genesis chapter 3. Others, you know, there are family connections to that of having a man child, but uh, just thinking on that, that just sort of came up in my mind as I was talking there. So we, we sum it up now on page 42 there, and he's got two, two thoughts. Uh, he was expressing his thirst. So we see humanity on the cross, don't we? And they offer him that vinegar and uh, wine, uh, whatever. You know, some have said that has a deadening effect to it. 
I have no idea. I've heard others say that. And, but, uh, and then the second thing he says here on the margin of 42, he was calling attention to the fulfillment of Scripture, and he's referencing Psalm 22 as well as Psalm 69. Uh, those, the writer said, are about a suffering servant, accused, insulted, humiliated, and in need of rescue. Jesus was completing the picture he was painting with his whole life. And this week you have many opportunities now if, if you would like to read the Easter story. I'd encourage you to do that maybe. Read uh, Matthew one day, Mark, Luke, and then John. And uh, naturally, you know, you'll read the resurrection story as well. But just read it and compare it. Uh, more importantly, rejoice through it. Uh, is what I would say concerning that also. On the bottom of page 43, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 said, When the time came to completion, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So we're not Jewish, but we're still what? We're a called the sons of God, are we not? Matter of fact, if you read in the Roman letter, uh, he said, we've been grafted into the body of Christ. We're not orphans. Uh, we're sons. And because of that, uh, you know, the scripture says there that we can rejoice in knowing that Jesus uh, did it all for me. We've heard theologians say, or we've read what they printed, and that if is if I had been the only sinner in the world, Jesus would have still uh, did what He did. Why? To redeem me from my sin uh, as well. Any of you have any thought there? Okay, ladies and gentlemen, those of you who are watching us by YouTube today, let me tell you that next Sunday we'll be in John chapter 20. John chapter 20, naturally on Easter. Uh, the subject matter is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, we'll be studying in John chapter 20, and I'm going to encourage you to read the whole chapter if you prepare. Uh, and we'll see you next Sunday morning uh, here from the sanctuary again at 10 o'clock live, but it's all archived there on YouTube, and you'll be able to find it relatively easy, okay? Thank you. God bless. Have a good day.